So I was thinking about this week about how in the 2000s, so you know, middle, mainly middle of 2000s, about 10 years ago, TV was just filled with makeover shows. Like, I don't know if this y'all were watching TV during this era, but like there was um, everybody wanted to make over their life. Like there was extreme home makeover, right? So it was like you got to get the perfect house, and they take somebody's trailer and like bulldoze it and build them a 5,000 square foot house on top of it. Um, and not give them any way to pay the mortgage. I don't think I don't know how they did this, but um, and that guy what was his name Tyler. You guys remember Ty? Ty Pennington. So much energy, and uh, and he was all about making over people's houses. And then you also had extreme makeover. Actually, one of my hallmates, my freshman year of, of college, his girlfriend's mom was on extreme makeover, and they like gave her a nose job and new teeth and some lipo. I mean, they did the whole thing. I don't know. This was like 2002. Um, and then the thing that launched the Bravo Network, and if you all remember Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, um, straight guys who just couldn't dress themselves, and so they had this team of guys who helped dress them and helped make them over. Um, also, What Not to Wear, that was a favorite in my, with my older sister. Yeah, What Not to those guys are great. You can track with me. Makeover shows, right? Like, we don't, do we have makeover shows still? Maybe. Yes, some? Okay, we've got some. Um, Mary Clark and I would love to watch Biggest Loser. That was our, because it was like, there's just the earnestness that they long to, um, to shed the weight and to like restart their lives. And I don't know if you've heard this, but a couple months ago there was an article that ran that showed that actually they've all gained the weight back because of the damage they've done to their bodies for the first part of their life. Really sad. Um, but, but what this reveals is that, um, that people desperately want a restart. Of some sort. We all desperately want a restart of some sort. Um, and what it is is that everyone, we all have a vision of the good life, of some sort of fullness, a way that we could experience real fullness, and we're trying to achieve it. And what these makeover shows reveal is that people realize that their path that they're on um, just can't get there, right? The way that they've lived so far to this point, they're like, I just can't get there. I need a restart. I need some sort of start over, some sort of do over to get there. And so the TV networks jumped on this bandwagon and made a ton of money doing it. Um, but we all have a vision of the good life. We, right, we all picture in our imagination some ideal life, whether it be your ideal weekend um, or your ideal college experience, your ideal career, or if your mind is way in the future, um, it's your ideal, ideal spouse, your ideal family, house, job, city. Right? All of us have some sort of vision of the good life. When we hear the good life, we all have some sort of um, whether or not it's a, it's, a, it's a vivid picture, it's a feeling. We want to experience this, this fullness in life. There's a quote on your bulletin um, from James K. Smith that I'm going to read. Um, and he says this. He says, To be human is to desire the kingdom, some version of the kingdom, which is the aim of our quest. Every one of us is on a kind of Arthurian quest for the Holy Grail, that hoped for, longed for, dreamed of picture of the good life the realm of human flourishing that we pursue without ceasing. Implicitly and tacitly, it is such visions of the kingdom that pull us up to pull us to get up in the morning and suit up for the quest. All right, we all have some vision of the of the kingdom. We're all desiring the kingdom in some way. All vision, some vision of the good life, some sort of fullness that we're longing after. Um, so last night I read a play called The Sunset Limited, written by Cormac McCarthy. 
Now, if you're unfamiliar with Cormac McCarthy, maybe you've seen No Country for Old Men um, or The Road. I think that's a movie now, right? That's just a great book. But um, Sunset Limited is a, a very short play. Um, he wrote it in 2006, and there's two characters in this play. Um, there's black and there's white. Black is an African, African-American man in his 50s. He's an ex-con. He is um, an ex-addict. And he lives in a tenement house in a, a ghetto in New York City. And white is a, uh, a white um, college professor, tenure, PhD. Um, and the play opens in New York City in uh, Black's apartment. And um, today, is his, today is White's birthday. And it opens them with him in the, in the apartment. And what we learn in the first couple of pages is that Black has just saved White's life. Um, White was running on the subway platform, the train platform, about to launch himself in front of the train. And Black jumps out and saves him and brings him up to his apartment. And, and the play is a dialogue between these two characters. Um, a dialogue between Black uh, really try, earnestly trying to get him to have some sort of um, recovery of, of a vision of fullness that he would desire to live, um, where White is, is actually articulating this uh, this, this hopelessness, that there is nothing. There's nothing to live for. He knows everything, and there's nothing to live for. Um, and there's this great contrast between the two of them. And um, Black makes, he, he tells that he's made this mess of his life, and um, he's experienced something that has given him new life. And he's a Christian, and he names that, that he has this new life in Jesus after making this incredible mess of his life. Um, and White has achieved everything he's wanted, um, and he's concluded that there's nothing worth living for, so he's trying to commit suicide. And now here we have a dilemma that many of you feel. You have a vision of the good life, and you're in one of three places. Either you're just starting to imagine for yourself what the good life will look like, what your holy grail will be, um, what you're going to pursue without ceasing. You're starting to formulate a vision of the kingdom that will get you out of bed in the morning to suit up for the quest. Or um, you're on the way to achieving your vision of the good life. Um, you've got your head down, you're working hard, and you're holding out for what, it will, what your hard work will give you when you get it. So you're holding out for that satisfaction or that peace or that fulfillment, um, that feeling of fullness that you long for. Or um, the third category is you're like white in, uh, in the Sunset Limited, and you've achieved your good life. You've conquered your kingdom, and, you're, and if you're honest with yourself, you're discovering that all of that hard work, all of that achievement didn't actually give you what you wanted. Here's how White puts it. He says, If people saw the world for what it truly is, saw their lives for what they truly are, without dreams or illusions, I don't believe they could offer the first reason why they should not elect to die as soon as possible. Right, that is a bleak statement. But that's where, um, I think it's an honest statement. For many people, maybe many of us in this room, it's an honest statement about where we are when we look at the prospect of this world. So my hope tonight is that as we read the Bible together, um, we will see that God takes your questions and he takes your life seriously. And he desires to give you good things. Exactly. He, in fact, desires to give you the good life that you were created for. So we're reading the Gospel of John together this semester. And um, what we're seeing together is that Jesus gives himself to us as the answer to our questions. And so tonight we're going to read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Um, this is printed on the pink sheet. Um, you can follow along there. I'm going to read this for us. 
This is God's word for us tonight. He gives it to us in love. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you uh, for gathering us and that you speak to us through your word, and we ask that you would help us um, to see Jesus. Um, Speak to us now, we pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so there's an outline on your, uh, on your handout. If you want to take notes, that's there for you. And our outline is this. Uh, first, where does the good life come from? Second, how do I get the good life? And third, what is the good life? So first, I want to set the scene for us uh, in this passage that we have. It's nighttime, and there's a man named Nicodemus who was a very serious religious man. And he has come to Jesus, and he's curious about Jesus. And he enters into this conversation with Jesus about the, about the kingdom of God. Now, for Nicodemus, who was um, of the most devout Jews, the kingdom of God was shorthand for the good life. The kingdom of God was shorthand for when everything was going to be put right. Where God rules in every area of life and everything is rightly related to each other. Where we love God and we love one another, we care for creation. Where brokenness is mended, wounds are healed, divisions cease, um, a theologian named Alan Wakayabashi said, uh, says it this way. He says, God's, the kingdom of God is God's reign breaking into history and into our world in a decisive and new way to bring restoration to God's lost creation. So the kingdom of God um, looks like peace and it feels like fullness. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that this picture of the good life, the kingdom of God, is a free gift that comes from God. Now, the weight of Jesus' argument is that the good life that Nicodemus desires is not something that he can achieve. It's not something he can earn, but something that comes to us. It's a gift. It's not a reward. Look at verse 3 with me. Um, He says this first here. He says, unless someone is born again, um, he cannot cannot see the kingdom of God. And this word, again, unfortunately, uh, we've had the 70s, and so we've got this, like, this messed up view of born again because it was brought into American politics, right? And so born again Christian became this thing that was thrown around in 70s politics. And so now this word doesn't really make, make sense to us in the same way. But 
what Jesus is saying in this word, this word, phrase born again actually could be translated as born from above. It means the, it means the same thing in Greek. So he's, he's saying unless someone has a birth that comes again from outside of him, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God without this new birth. And this confounds Nicodemus. Right? Look at his response. How can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born? And I don't know if Nicodemus is really that dense, um, that he thinks that Jesus is talking about a literal rebirth, or if Nicodemus is simply articulating the absurdity of Jesus' statement. Because Nicodemus is in effect saying, like, I've worked really hard my whole life. I'm a good religious person. I love God. I love my family. And you're telling me that I need to start over from the beginning. You're saying that all that I've achieved, all the good that I've done counts for nothing? Now, for those of us who have made a mess of our lives, this is really good news that we get to start over. But for those of you who think you're doing a pretty good job of succeeding, this is wildly disruptive. Because some of you are still on your first go of it and you don't think that you need a restart. Right? We, we all have this deep desire for fullness, for the good life. And um, if you haven't train wrecked your life yet, you're convinced that you can achieve your way there. We have a name for this, right? We call it perfectionism. Um, I was talking with a student today, and we, he talked about how his perfectionism bleeds into everything he does. Whether it be his relationships, or in the classroom, or in the gym, or on the golf course, um, perfectionism bleeds into everything he does. So I asked him um, to imagine with me that he was playing golf and he birdied every hole. I said, what would that feel like? And he squirmed a little bit. And he's like, ah. I was like, all right, imagine with me that you eagled every hole. What would that feel like? Would that be enough? And his response was, well, probably not. Right? That probably wouldn't be enough. Because there will always be something to critique. Right? He could always do it better. It's because the perfection that we desire, the fullness that we long for, we have this awareness that even if we achieve it perfectly, it's still going to be out of our reach. Right? Jesus knows this. He says the good life or fullness or the kingdom of God or eternal life is not something that we can achieve or earn, but something that comes to us from outside of us. Uh, a great Jim Carrey movie from the 90s, The Truman Show. Um, I don't know if you all have seen this. It tells the story of a boy named Truman um, who is stuck in a television show, but he doesn't know it. Uh, the way that it works is as a baby, he was put into the set, which is like this giant dome that looks, it doesn't look like it's a set. So he grows up, he watches TV, he has friends, he goes to school, he has a family, and everyone's actors, and everything's set up um, so that he doesn't know that he's in a television show, but they think he's actually living this real life. And so uh, the outside world loves it, right? It's everyone's favorite show. It's actually a dedicated channel on TV, and so you can like watch him sleep, and you can watch him eat, but he has no idea that he's in this show. He's in this dome that's, um, that's enclosing his life. It's a self-contained dome. And the town that he's in is this town called Sea Haven. Um, and all the people he encounters are real people, but they're actually actors. And there's this series of events that happens in the movie where he starts to believe that there's something beyond his life, beyond this town. So he tries to escape. Like, he gets in his car and tries to escape. But every road he takes out, there's some crazy accident or fire or something, so he can't actually leave, um, can't actually leave his home. Um, but he has this sense that there's this fullness beyond the enclosed life that he lives. Um, there's this fullness beyond the small, small town, beyond the TV set. 
And so he sets out to try to escape the show, to try to see what's beyond Sea Haven. And this resonates with us, right? Because Jesus says that the good life, the fullness we long for, is beyond us. It's beyond our flesh. It's beyond this world. It's beyond anything that we can muster. It must come from the Spirit. To which Nicodemus replies, what? How can this be? Um, And one thing we see in this story is that Jesus honors Nicodemus' questions. He honors Nicodemus' curiosity. So this is true of the character of God. If you have questions for God or about God, ask them. You can ask me, or better yet, you can ask him yourself in prayer. He loves questions. He honors your curiosity. So Nicodemus asked Jesus, how can this be? And Jesus responds to his bewilderment this way. He says, aren't you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand what I'm saying? Jesus responds to Nicodemus this way because Nicodemus should have known what the Bible says about the Spirit. Um, In the beginning, uh, beginning of all things, the beginning of the Bible, um, God the Father creates all things through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in Genesis 2, we're told the story of God creating humans. And he form, we're told he full, forms Adam from the dust. And then he breathes the spirit into his nostrils, making him a living creature. The first thing a human experienced on this earth was the spirit of God. And the first thing a human saw on this earth was the face of his maker breathing life into him. And this story tells us a lot about what it means to be a human. First, it tells us that we're dust. We are carbon-based life forms. Those of you who are biology majors know this, right? We will decompose when we die. Our bodies will fall apart. We will die. We're dust. And second, this tells us that we are animated by the very breath of God. That we are designed to be filled by God's Spirit. And that without the Spirit of God in us, we lack, we lack the fullness that we were designed for. The story goes that God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and guard it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. God said to the man, you were designed to find your fullness in me and what I give you. But if you look for your fullness, if you look for the good life outside of what I provide, it will kill you. And so the old story goes that Adam and Eve, our first parents, they, disobeyed, they were deceived by the serpent. They were deceived by the serpent. They took the fruit of that forbidden tree, they ate it, and they gave it to each other. And having sought fullness away from God, they were cursed with death. Now last week, if you're here, I defined sin as the human propensity to mess things up. And that um, actually has a deeper root. That propensity comes from us seeking our fullness outside of God. And while the Bible tells the story of this and of the disastrous effects that this has had, it also tells the story of God pursuing his people so that he might restore in us, restore us to the fullness that he's designed us to live in. And one of the ways that the Bible talks about God's pursuit of us and his plan to make all things right is through the images of water and of the Spirit. The prophet Ezekiel, who wrote about um, 600 years before Jesus, recorded this prophecy. In Ezekiel 36, he says this, that God promises in that day of redemption that he will cleanse his people with clean water and clean them from all uncleanness. 
And from all the idols, he will cleanse you. And then he will put his spirit within you. He says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. This is a promise that God made through the prophet Ezekiel. And then in Ezekiel 37, um, God gives Ezekiel this magnificent vision. um, The vision of this. And he takes Ezekiel to this valley. And this valley is just filled with dry bones. Um, So dust, right? Bodies that have decomposed, that have fallen apart and just knee-deep stacked bones. And God says to Ezekiel, do you think that these bones can live? And God tells Ezekiel, speak to them. Talk to these dry bones. And so Ezekiel speaks. He speaks to the bones. He says, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I shall put spirit in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And as he spoke, Ezekiel writes that he heard a rattling. That he watched as the bones connected together and sinew came on the bones and then flesh and then skin. And finally, Ezekiel prays to the spirit and he says, Oh spirit, come and breathe on these dead so that they may live. And the spirit comes into them and they live and stand on their feet. And God says to Ezekiel, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my spirit in my people so that they might live. And this is what Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus. That without the Spirit, we're just bodies, unable to get the fullness that we long for. And you know what this feels like. Right? This is why we're so obsessed with zombies right now. I mean, like we live in a glut of zombie books and movies. Like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Has anyone read that? Yes. Tucker has read that. Good. I have no idea what that's about. Um, the Walking Dead, right? This is kind of the culmination of our zombie craze. The Walking Dead. Um, and our zombie culture is an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement that we long for fullness. We long to be fully alive in a culture where it feels like everyone is just wandering around looking for fullness by devouring each other. Like, why do you think that we're so uber obsessed with sex and sexuality? It's because we're trying to find fullness here and now. And the best we can stumble into is consuming each other sexually. But for any of you who sought fullness through sex or any other creative thing, you know that it doesn't deliver the fullness that you long for. That's because the good life that we desire, the fullness that we're made for, the kingdom of God that we wish to see is ours only as we're born of the Spirit from above. And it's a free gift that comes from God. And Jesus says that this gift is nothing less than eternal life. So if it's free, um, how do I get it? How do I get this free gift? This is, in essence, what Nicodemus is asking Jesus in verse 9. He says, how can these things be? How do I get the fullness that I long for? If it belongs to God and and it is spirit, and I'm flesh, I'm dust, how do I get it? Well, in verse 13, you look at this with me, Jesus does some logic work with Nicodemus. And he says this, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And basically what he's saying is that the fullness you long for exists outside of the created world. And therefore the only way that you're going to get it is that if someone comes from outside of the created world, comes from heaven, and comes down to you. And the testimony of the Bible and of the Christian church throughout history is that this is what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The one who is spirit, clothed in the flesh, 
so that he might restore us to the fullness, to the kingdom of God that we were designed for. And to tell us how we get this fullness, Jesus shows us this story from the Old Testament, from Numbers 21. Um, And the story goes like this. Uh, God's people were wandering in the wilderness. They'd been freed from slavery in Egypt through Moses, and they're wandering in the wilderness, and they become impatient with God. They don't trust his plan. They don't trust Moses, um, and they speak out against God, saying, why have you brought us out of Egypt into the wilderness to die? And then God sends snakes among the people, and the snakes bite a lot of the people and end up killing them. And the people come to Moses and they say, we have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take these snakes, take these serpents away from us. And so Moses prays and the Lord um, tells Moses to make a serpent and to fasten it on a pole. And that everyone who has been bitten, when they look at that serpent, they will live. So Moses fashions this bronze snake and he sets it on a pole. And if a snake bites anyone, that person looks at the serpent. And lives. Now the serpent expresses in symbol the very thing which is destroying them, right? It's a symbol of the very thing which is destroying them. And Jesus is saying that in the same way, he, the Son of Man, must become the thing which destroys his people, so that when they look to him in faith, they can be healed and have life. Now, the reason why you can't find fullness in your own attempts, whether it be through money or friendships or parties or sex or your academic achievement or your attempted perfectionism is because those things haven't descended to the depths for you. They have done nothing to address the thing that is fundamentally wrong with us all, our sin. But Jesus, God himself, left heaven and came to earth, right? He was born a baby and that baby grew up to be a man and he suffered. He suffered all that you have suffered and more. He has been tempted in everything that you have been tempted with. And yet he was without sin. So that he could hang on a cross like a serpent on a stick and become sin for you. So that by believing in him, you could have the fullness, the eternal life that you're designed for. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what is the good life? What is the fullness that you long for? It's the eternal life that is yours through Jesus Christ alone. This is how the passage ends. That For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because the same Jesus who is lifted on the cross for your sin was raised from the dead on the third day, never to die again. And so when you look to Jesus in faith, the fullness that he gives you is the fullness that comes through his resurrection. The new birth that he gives you is the birth of that same spirit who raised him from the dead. And the promise of the eternal life that Jesus gives is a restoration of our whole creation. And it's seeing God face to face and being filled with his spirit. The eternal life that Jesus offers is nothing less than this. So a question for you to answer for yourself is, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want to know God? Do you want to have this fullness that you were designed for and you long for? Do you want to live in this fullness, to have the spirit? And Jesus says to you, believe in me and receive eternal life. 
So back to the, the play I told you about earlier, The Sunset Limited. Um, the play ends with the character Black trying to compel White not to throw himself in front of the train, but rather to know God and to have real life in him. And the play ends, the last couple of pages are White um, leaving Black's apartment and going to his certain death. And Black is left weeping in the stairwell, pleading with God, wishing that he could have perhaps given his life for White. And unlike Black, who couldn't save White, Jesus was able to give his life for Nicodemus and give him the fullness, the eternal life he was made for. Tim Keller, um, in his new book, writes that Jesus himself is the main argument for why we should believe Christianity. Jesus himself is the main argument for why we should believe Christianity. Not just in how he lived, not just in how he died, but why he lived and why he died. And we see in Nicodemus' life the power of Jesus as the argument of God. And as John records it, that after Jesus was betrayed and slapped and spit on and mocked and whipped and finally stripped naked and crucified, he died. And after he died, John tells us that his friend, Joseph of Arimathea, came and got his body and buried it in his tomb. And that Nicodemus, this same Nicodemus, came with 75 pounds of spices to embalm him, to embalm Jesus' dead body. What love Nicodemus showed him to treat Jesus' dead, lifeless body with such care, with such respect, with such love, to take the time to tenderly bind his body in burial clothes. This body, this flesh, this dust that brings us the very spirit of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus um, who came to us in flesh, entered into this world so that we might have the fullness that you designed us for, the fullness that has been broken through our sin. We ask that you would help us um, to see Jesus, to believe in him, um, and to taste this fullness that you made us for. This life in the kingdom of God as you give it to us in Christ.